0: Please be advised, this story contains adult content and graphic language.
1: That woman changed his world. Now, he's an adult and went along with it, but that world changed. And when they drove off in that truck, the Dan I would hear again from after that was not the same Dan I knew.
0: Welcome to Sleuth. I'm Linda Sawyer. On this episode, we welcome ordained minister Daniel Halkyard, who tells us he's a longtime advisor to Daniel Wozniak. For many years, Daniel Wozniak worked for Daniel Halkyard's appraisal business so Daniel Wozniak could make enough money to date Emily Halkyard, the pastor's stepdaughter. Daniel Halkyard recounts to Sleuth many fond memories of his time when he directed Dan Wozniak as the lead in many local community theater musicals during his youth. To this day, Daniel Halkyard refers to Daniel Wozniak as his beloved son. He shares with us, however, the one lasting painful memory he witnessed as Daniel Wozniak loaded his truck with furniture the Halkyards had just donated to Daniel and his new girlfriend, Rachel Buffett. As Daniel Halkyard tells us, he watched as the boy he came to love as his son jumped in his truck heading off for his new life, a life Daniel Wozniak was about to share with his future fiance, Rachel Buffett, by his side. And we'd like to welcome you now, Daniel Halkyard. It's Linda Sawyer from Sleuth.
1: Well, how are you?
0: I'm doing very well, thank you, and we're so happy to have you And we look forward to your insights on this case. We know that you, at some point, had a pretty close relationship with uh, Daniel Wozniak. And as well, you got to know Rachel Buffett and her mother, Mary Ann. So from the beginning, how did you first meet Daniel Wozniak?
1: I met Dan, it was early... 2003, 2002, 2003, I was directing for a company called uh, a children's theater in Orange County and Daniel auditioned and, uh, he was very, very likable. Very, I just, I was very impressed with him watching him perform and I was watching his people skills and I really enjoyed that. And, uh, over the time he worked on the show and, uh, he played von Captain Von Trapp and everybody loved him. They just, the kids adored him. And he seemed to have a, a gentle persona about him, and uh, so I invited him to come to work for me in my appraisal company. He would shoot photography, shoot pictures of houses and things like that for me. And the neatest handwriting, the neatest work, very thorough and uh, very easygoing. Loved humor, and uh, that's how I teach us with humor. So we got along very well, and uh, that's how we began. You know, that's how we began our relationship.
0: And were was he involved also in your family life? Because it is my understanding that Emily, your stepdaughter, also had uh, a lot of experience with him and had a friendship with him.
1: They had a friendship with him, and I I don't talk much about the family because I kind of keep that personal. That's yeah, but the, I can tell you that much. Everybody knew that they they dated.
0: And I guess I'm just referring to that because obviously you thought well of him enough so that if he was in your stepdaughter's life, it was something that you approved of.
1: The Daniel I knew exactly. Had it been the Daniel that we would later become to know, no, there would be no way.
0: Of course, of course. So during that time before the murders took place, you didn't see any indication of someone that was capable of what we now know he did.
1: No, when you look at the contrast from night and day, you know, I've seen professional experts say, well, you should see scientists. Said, well, that's fine. You're the expert. But I was with him constantly on a day-to-day basis. And uh, I honestly, in my heart, it's my opinion that uh, that he was fine. I don't think this darkness took over until he left us. And as we talk, I'll tell you how that took place. But that darkness wasn't there. I, I Like I said, I can only give you my opinion. But I was in a constant relationship day-to-day, to day-to-day for those years. And I didn't see it. Now I knew later on, right near the end of it, when we would say goodbye, because he because he moved, um, he and Rachel, I found out later that the drinking had gotten you know he was known to dr- the social drinking get crazy. These they'd go out and karaoke, and I was fine with that, but but he always told me I will never drive your daughter home. I said you better not.
0: So at one point, it, excuse me, let me just explain to listeners. So at one point, he did stay in your home and then left and went and got his own apartment? Mm -hmm. Is that what you're saying? Okay.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: And did he live with, did he live with Emily or did he just live on his own?
1: No, 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 no. He really didn't live. He would come and spend, he probably might spend the night on the couch or something like that, but no, he never, that would never be allowed in the house. Okay. Uh, He never lived with us, but he was, you would think he was a permanent fixture because he was constantly there <laughs> okay. either in the theater or the appraisal business. But you
0: cared enough about him where he was working in your profession in a professional capacity for you not just in the musical theater end of his life but also he- you let him stay when he when it was convenient for him and you gave him a whole lot of furniture, right? That's what your wife told me when when he finally did move out on his own.
1: Yeah, when he decided to move out on his own. Um, we we we, we, we they said, hey, we're getting ready to move. We got a whole bunch of furniture. So they arrived when I if it was a Sunday or Saturday, but they arrived and she was sleeping in the cab of the truck. So I said, "Where's where's your better half?" That's how we talk. He said, "She's sleeping." I said, now, okay. Who, who are you and referring so to when you say the- that? Who who we're is referring to? Rachel Buffett.
0: Oh, so at this point, he is involved with Rachel Buffett.
1: Right. I didn't know much about it. I had he had told me he had met a young lady. And he was trying because me being a minister. I'm a uh, you know a minister with the National Association of Christian Ministers. And he would ask me about my faith and his and his faith and, and Catholicism. He said, "Well, I don't know how to talk to her because she has you know more of a uh, it's not it's more of a." Uh, non-Catholicism uh, faith. He said, and so I just told him, you know, basically how we talked about it. So he would have conversations about that. And from that, I derived that he was getting this relationship with this girl. And I didn't know much about her, but um, Emily would tell me that he was seeing someone else. And I said, okay, I guess they they were done with their relationship. So he was seeing someone else. And so I didn't really hear much from Dan after, oh, for a couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden they, sh- they said, we need furniture. I said, I got it for you. Come on by. And that's how we got to that point. So that's how I knew a little bit about Rachel Buffett.
0: Got it. And when can you describe for us the first encounter that the first significant encounter you had with her and what were your feelings after meeting her?
1: Hungover. I'm just, I'm just going to be honest with you. I just, I didn't draw conclusions, but she was, she didn't even, when they arrived, she didn't even come out to say hi. She waited until the truck was loaded and then came out. It was sleepy. eyed tried looked like she taught her. I'm just giving you my first impression, my opinion. So look like she had tied one on. and I kind of went, mm. she didn't say much. And she said, thanks. I got back in the car and they took off. And when she was there, Dan was kind of, Dan was really like, I'd never seen before. He was kind of attentive to her. She moved one way da, da, da. You know, his gregariousness with us was he got around my wife. They just, they were just it was like mother, son, they had a great relationship. But when she came in for that first time, got kind of quiet, kind of reserved. And I I couldn't draw any conclusions at that time. I was just happy to, to help Dan out. We loaded the truck, she took a bike, out of the truck, and they left.
0: So the only real shift you saw in Daniel's personality was that in this particular case with this particular woman, he was very attentive and very cognizant of her needs and wants.
1: Yeah, and the reason I say that, Linda, is... We in the theater world, as I say, have contacts. You say something bad about somebody in Orange County, and you may fly out and see a play in New York, and a personal come up to you, going, "I heard you said this about somebody." I said, "This is how close knit this is." Sure. I heard for the next several years that it was dark because we didn't hear from Dan and friends that we knew in the theater that he knew and my my daughter knew said, "You can't go there anymore," and I said, "Why?" And I said, he says it's dark. They're hanging around people with drugs. They're hanging around. And I'm just hearing this is what's being said to me. And I said, I was wondering why I haven't heard from him. And he goes, Oh yeah, it's the whatever darkness those two have gotten into. It's just not nice. And slowly, the friends started to fade away. I didn't get much involved because my daughter wasn't involved, but we had such a bond that I said I really want to know what happened to him. And so, give you an idea for the next couple of years, I just kind of watched. I I didn't get to see much, but it would drift back in conversations, either in Facebook, email, phone calls. People would slowly start to say there was a darkness forming over there. What that meant, I don't know, but they said the friends they hung out were rough. They were into heavy drugs, and that was it. Now, again, that could be hearsay.
0: So based on the fact that the theater community in Orange County is a tight community, you're saying there were sort of eyes and ears that were sharing with you things that they learned or knew or saw firsthand.
1: Exactly, and the reason I tell you this is because they got back to me because they said, this is not the Dan you knew. We don't know where this came from because this, it totally took them by surprise. They knew he liked to drink and have a good time, but this darkness that set in, the fact that he was desperate and needed money, good heavens, Dan was never at that point in his life, but it just, I don't know how the shift came, but I know this. This is my opinion based upon what I physically saw and heard, that woman changed his world. Now, he's an adult and went along with it, but that world changed from when they drove off in that truck. The Dan I would hear again from after that was not the same Dan I knew.
0: I understand from some close friends of his that Daniel never really felt that he, for lack of a better word, deserved Rachel. He always felt... He loved her, and the love was, from what I am being told, very much a one-sided love. Do you think that there is self-esteem issues here that perhaps he felt he had to please her in any way possible, and would be willing to do whatever it took to please her?
1: In my opinion, absolutely. People are afraid. they are afraid to say that, but I'm not. I knew Dan very well, and when the Orange County Papers started reporting. Well, you know, this is, you know, this is the psychopath and this is, this, this, and that he never could have been that good. I said, baloney. I said, you've sheltered this woman for too many years. I said, this woman changed that man's life. Now, again, he's an adult. He can make the decision, but that she was so, I had to get permission to go see Dan and we'll talk about that in a moment. You couldn't do anything because I would talk to Dan's mom, Ann. And she would tell me, "Oh, you got to talk with Rachel because she, she, you know, there's just you can't see Dan unless Rachel." And that's when I found out Rachel was the leader in that group. And
0: you stopped your sentence there. You said, "Mary Anne, who's Daniel Wozniak's mother?" For our listeners, Mary said you had to go through Rachel. Why?
1: Yeah, I wanted to visit him, and this was in the for about the second week in June, so the, of 2010. And I said, I want to visit, Dan. She goes, well, you have to talk to Rachel. I said, Rachel? Oh, Rachel Buffett. He was, yeah. I said, why do I got to go through her? She goes, he, she was the fiancé, Danny. That's she called me, Danny. And she goes, she's the fiancé. You have to talk to her. And there was a tone in Marianne's voice that was hurt. And I'm not a psychologist, but she, we would have conversations, and she just, Marianne always tried to put, but that was her that was her boy. And she didn't like the fact that she didn't even have. So it, you got the feeling that this woman what she says goes, and Dan will do it, and Dan will take anyone else out that doesn't listen. That's the Dan I would see.
0: Is it your belief, Dan, that Marianne Wozniak feels the same way about Rachel that you do?
1: We went, yeah, because he had an aunt. He had an aunt that was just a hysterical. Dan had an aunt that was wonderful, really close to the family, and they would all get together, and we'd go see plays that Dan was in or that I was in or that I would be directing that Dan was in. And that's how close everything was you could see how close he was to his mother. He was close to her and close to his father. I mean, that ended, to me, that kind of ended when she came in because she became the focus.
0: So you're saying once Rachel came into Daniel's life, he, he distanced himself from his family, and he had, at one point he was very close to that family. You're saying Marianne and Daryl used to attend all of Dan's musicals?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. The minute he got into that truck with Rachel Buffett and they left our house with our furniture, the Dan that I knew, who enjoyed life, who enjoyed his family, who loved everything, that just vanished. Pardon my language, but who in the heck is this?
0: So the next time you saw Daniel Wozniak, when he was sitting in Orange County Jail in an orange jumpsuit.
1: Nope. I would see Daniel about, I was doing a play in Long Beach at a, uh, at a melodrama club. And Dan, I was doing a children's show there. And as I was doing the children's show, someone said, uh, oh yeah, we've got a, an adult program here in the, in the evening and you must know one of them, Daniel Wozniak. I said, I'll be a son of a gun. He's in the show. He's doing the show. And they go, yeah, he does the night stuff. We did the daytime stuff. And, uh, I said, great. But they said, but he doesn't like you. And I said, excuse me. They said, he doesn't like you. He said, you'll take over everything. and you, you, you'll, con- you'll be controlling and this and this and that. And this was the producer. I said, are you sure you've got the right Dan Wozniak? He goes, yeah. But then I saw Dan in the parking lot several days later. He goes, hey, Dan, what's going on? And just, hey, hey it's good to see you. Yeah, okay, got to go. Bye. And I said, so I, I told my wife when I got home, I don't know what's going on here. But then I just let it go because it was too hurtful. I just said, I, I, I got to let that go. Cause Remember, at that time, I now was hearing that Dan was changing, things were going on, it's getting dark, and it seemed very disconnected to me when I saw him. Then the next time I would see him would be in the orange jumpsuit at the Men's County Jail.
0: So that was just a precursor that uh, things were shifting for Daniel and he barely gave you the time
1: of day. Well, the play that he did, the last play that he was in with Rachel, Dan never would have done something like that. That was one of the darkest plays i would ever seen. And looking at his persona in that production, I went, he would never pick something like that. He's a good, very talented actor. But that that wouldn't have been his style. He wouldn't have done that. But
0: It was certainly foreboding for his
1: future, wasn't it? You know, people grow up and they do different things. And they they find different interests. But of all the plays he would do since he's begun, he'd come back to that one. It's just, I don't know, it's just, I can only base all these observations on my relationship with him.
0: Perhaps it's more indication of her influence over him.
1: Well, the fact that it was going on during that play, I would think so. That's, that was the epitome of what I felt I, when I saw the play they were in and the characters they were playing and that this thing, this tragedy happened during this. I said, don't tell me you don't know anything about what's going on because that, that I'm not buying because of Rachel I know. And the Dan I know, there's no way, you know, you're getting to something that's getting really tender with me, but uh, I think there's a, there's a lot that hasn't been discovered yet. And I hope it does.
0: Well, let's talk about that. Cause this trial takes place and she is charged at, as we know with three felony counts of accessory after the fact, if she's convicted the maximum time she'll, she'll, Spend in prison is
1: three years. In my opinion, it's a shame. Three years would never be close to enough justice for the families based upon what I believe her complicity was.
0: Let's talk about what you believe her complicity was. Give us a sense. I went
1: to see Daniel. I went to see Daniel the third week in June 2010. Rachel and her mom, Marianne, met me there. We sat and we talked for a while. And first first of all, I was upset that I had to go through her to get to see my friend, but that I got over fast. Rachel was very, you would never would have known. I'm telling you my first impressions. You never would have known something as horrific as just happened three weeks prior to that had happened. I was I was kind of taken back by that. At first blush, we got to talking and back and forth between mom. I had the opinion mom didn't get the whole picture from Rachel because the conversation didn't make sense. She kept saying that, well, I had no idea this was coming. Yeah. And we just had no idea this was going on. And I said to myself, I don't think so. But then she said something that this is very, very important. You need to hear this. When I saw her on Dr. Phil go through that whole ramrod with Dr. Phil, Rachel said something to me in front of her mother that I actually emailed her mother back that night and gave her a warning. Rachel told me in no certain terms, you know, the night that that lady was killed, I was on an email to her and I felt so suspicious and scared because Daniel was standing right behind me. And I about dropped my jaw. Linda, I said, you what? She was yeah, that was so spooky. I looked at her mom, and her mom just clammed up real quick. We went through the, the the talking process, and then I went to see Daniel, and we gave our little eye signals like I'll be back. You and I will talk. And when I got home, I got right on that email, I said, Marianne, and I still have that email. I said, Marianne, you need to be very cautious of something. Your daughter said something that makes gives me pause, and I think you need to talk about it with her. And I. Related to what I had heard. Never talked to her mother after that. Maybe a couple congenial highs, but they just stopped the communications. They didn't get back to me. And that's when I, I told my wife, I said, there's more to this story than, than meets the eye. I just, I can't, uh, it doesn't add up to me. And I said, I'm not the police here, but that broke my heart. I was convinced now, after that conversation, that this young lady was going to get away with literally murder. And there wasn't much I could do. I mean, and Dan won't give her up for some reason. Dan is not letting that go. And I, and I told Daniel, I looked him right in the eye as a minister and his friend. I said, you owe this to God. And you owe this to those families. You need to come clean. I can't make you. He said, Oh, I know. I said, don't be, yes, me, Daniel. God knows what happened that night. And he knows who was involved. You say you're, you say you're saved. You're born again, but you just need to do what's right. And you know, we've, that's where we left it. But that's what happened on the first visit when Marianne and Buffett and her daughter, Rachel Buffett, and I spoke for about 45 minutes to an hour before we went into to see Dan.
0: So I'd like to go over that because it's a lot to just take in. And Daniel, thank you so much for sharing all that. So what you're saying is before your first visit into the Men's County Jail to visit Daniel Wozniak, you sat first with Marianne Buffett and Rachel Buffett, and in that yes. conversation, Rachel spoke to you about what she said on the Dr. Phil show again. She shared with you what she said on the Dr. Phil show?
1: No, she wouldn't have been on the Dr. Phil show by then. Remember, Dr. Phil's show would come down the line.
0: Okay, so it, that's what I was, I was confused about. Dr. Phil was was soon after she was arrested in 2012.
1: No, it's when I saw, it's when I saw Dr. Phil and watched what she said, my wife had to control me because I stood up and said, but that's not what you said to me and your mother. You said you texted her and you thought Dan was right behind you. But now you're telling us you had no idea that this man was like this. This is what drove me nuts. She, he convinced everybody. She convinced everybody that I had no idea where you came, where this came from. I said, nonsense, lady. You know exactly where this came from because you were part of it. I mean, you don't hide something like that. But then, when she said that little sentence to me, if you were a suspect, how can you turn around? If you were a suspect of Dan or creeped out by it, why didn't you say anything? I mean, now you're acting like this came from a surprise. I was. Do you see what I'm trying to say? So it's you're saying I, I want
0: just me. I just want to reduce it to what I'm hearing and and to make sure that I'm clear okay. on what I'm hearing. You're saying on the first visit. To meet with your friend, Daniel Wozniak, when he was sitting in Men's County Jail in Orange County, you first sat with Marianne Buffett and Rachel Buffett. And in that conversation, she mentioned to you how she recalls sending an email to Julie Kubayushi and who was standing right behind her watching her send this email was none other than Daniel Wozniak.
2: Yes.
1: So I got that right. And it creeped. And yes, and it creeped her out, she said. It's important to get that in there because it creeped her out, but yet she has been claiming to everyone, I have no idea where this monster came from.
0: So what do you feel like she was trying to tell you at that moment? That they were in it together?
1: I think she was trying to puff-piece me like she did everyone else. Oh, he's my friend. He'll listen to me. I'm a minister. I'm not stupid. You know, I'm not going to take your side or Dan's side. I know I feel for the families. I think what this was. the No, 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 that's not what I'm I'm asking.
0: No, Daniel, what I'm asking is what do you believe her intent? Rachel Buffett's intent was when she told you that in that conversation you had before you went in to visit Daniel, was she trying to share with you how she was involved with Daniel in this planning?
1: You know, in the, From the furthest parts of my mind, I kind of got the feeling that was a way for Rachel to say, I'm scared. I don't know what to do with this. Got it.
0: It seems, based on what I'm hearing you say, that Rachel was trying to tell you or convince you that she was afraid, but yet she knew what was going on. She knew what the plan was with him standing right behind her.
1: That makes sense. It sure does. That's, that's, yeah. That, and, you know, I've I worked with enough teenagers to know that you get so deep into the lie. You don't know what the truth is anymore. And sometimes you'll reach out in the weirdest ways to people. And I just felt that what was happening, that that was happening in there, but that moment's gone.
0: But that moment really obviously ha- had an impact on you it, because it sounds to me like you're still haunted by that conversation. And I'd love to know more about how you felt because you said you told your wife that night. I don't know if you shared it with Marianne Wozniak, but I sure would love no, to hear more. I about- shared it with no one. You shared it with no one. Okay.
1: I shared it with no one. I shared it with my wife because I share everything with her. Um, I would definitely not share it with Marianne. I would not share it with anyone. But what it did change me emotionally, it told me that she was hiding behind faith. And this angered me. She was hiding behind faith in her church at Costa Mesa, to um, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. They were going to hide behind. Mom was going to get her to interview with them and talk with them, and he'll kind of give her guidance and everything. And I said, you can't hide. And said, I told her the same thing I told Dan. Don't hide behind God. That ain't going to happen. Don't do that. I'm telling you right now, don't do it. And that's what I think. When she said that to me, one of two things was going on. A, what I just told you. I think she was trying to reach out and tell me something or B, she was so immersed into the lie by then. It was just another performance. And I was just another person in the audience watching it. So she thought she poured on. And for the last number of years, I've struggled with both of those points.
0: So ironically, in her zeal to quote unquote perform for you, as you say, she wanted you to believe that she was this innocent, right, that she was just a damsel in distress, creeped out, as she said to you, by Dan standing behind her when she sent that message to Julie on Facebook. But what she accidentally revealed to you, really, was that that piece of information, that, in fact, he was standing behind her, which one can conclude meant that they were in partnership and they were in cahoots with this plan.
1: You know, but I think over the years she's learned to mastermind it now. Now she's polished her technique and she's got it down to where she doesn't even know what the truth is anymore. She's so far gone. In my opinion, based upon that encounter I had with her, I have the right to say what I say. And I really think, in my opinion, based upon what I heard and observed from her with her mother, she was an integral part of this operation. she she took Dan down that dark road, they ran out of money, they got into drugs, and then, she flipped switches and said, we've got to do that, take care of this. You know, and I just believe she was part of it.
0: Well, that is certainly a lot to take in. And I wanted to expand on your thought that you said that she was hiding behind her faith. One of an instance that I can recall when I when I first met with you and your wife, your wife had said to me that, During the Dr. Phil episode when she tries to explain away one of her felony charges, which is that she told police the same story about there was a third man in a black hat that they last saw with Sam. And a story, quite frankly, that Daniel ultimately told police was a lie, that he made it up. But at the time she went with it and she told the same thing to police and the way she was trying to explain that away on Dr. Phil was she used this coffee pot story.
2: You have a wife, right?
0: I do. A beautiful wife. Thank you.
2: If your wife told you that she had just made a cup uh, or a pot of coffee and it was in the kitchen, and then you didn't see it, but later on somehow it became really important whether or not it was there, and a cop asked you um, what was in your kitchen, and you'd say, oh, a spatula, a fork, and a pot of coffee. Mm-hmm. I trusted him. And I trusted that what he said was true. And especially before I thought it really mattered, I didn't question it. And then later on in questioning, when the police asked me, well, did you actually see him? And I said, well, no, no, I didn't. I got
0: to tell you, back when I had a real job before Mm -hmm. this, um, (laughs) I worked as a litigation consultant. And that sounded like a really coached response. That didn't sound like Rachel talking. Mm -hmm. I want to know what you have to say about it, not what you worked out in a conference room with your lawyer to say about it. Cool. And your wife told me yep. that that is a story that was coached straight out of the Calvary Church. Can you expand on that?
1: I'm not going to label the Calvary Church for that one because I have too much respect for Calvary Chapel. And no. No.
0: Well, what I mean is when you said to me earlier in this interview that she hides behind her faith, it recalls for me the conversation I had with your wife when she said that that was a very coached story that was told to her by the Calgary church. After all, it was the Calvary church that raised Rachel Buffett's bail money to begin with.
1: Well, the thing—the thing you have to understand—I, I don't want to be like a lecturer here, but I think she took everything that those good pastors and lay people talked to her about and twisted it to her own being the thing. I mean, she twists everything. I mean, she twists it all. And the thing is, is I don't—I will to this day go to my death, knowing that they did not coach her to say that because that—that that is willful, willful disobedience against our respect and our love for God, and they never would have coached her that. This woman took something, twisted it, and used it. I watched her. That was a desperation. She got in front of Dr. Phil, and uh, she fell apart.
2: How much these people are hurting, and they think that I had anything to do with that, it's bringing up a lot of pain for me, but I want some sort of healing, or at least for them to just know that I didn't have anything to do with their pain before that.
1: Did you make a mistake here anywhere along the way?
2: Maybe I made a mistake coming on the show. I don't know.
1: She was totally dismantled, and she was hesitant, and she was non-consoling. It just—I'm sorry. She her in the Bible. There's this, an expression called "your heart is hardened." It gets to the point to where you don't care. Quickly, a quick point in case it is. Pharaoh and even when he told the plagues with Moses, and God said, "I will harden his heart. I will harden his heart, but yet He'll forgive you again. He'll forgive you again." So He gave the Pharaoh lots of times, but then He hardened his heart every time, and He said, "That's the way it's going to be."
0: Well, Daniel, also, we, we don't know what she said to Calvary. I mean, she could have told Calvary, I I've trusted my fiancé. My fiancé told me all this, and I believed him. So how do I express that? How do I share that with Dr. Phil? They never
1: would have told her. They, didn't, they would have never gave her that advice. I can sit right here. You talk, they would never given her that type of advice. The church would never have put itself in that position because that was the most foolish thing I had ever seen. It was... it. I'm surprised that they, well, of course, there are people gullible enough to buy that story. But I'm just sorry that I, I defend my church, and uh, you know, I wasn't there. I don't know what she told them, but regardless of what they told them, you know, um, that wouldn't have been it. Because I talked to my Calvary Chapel pastor, and he told me, he says that's between her and God. He said that's between her and God because no one's ever going to know what happened. He said, and you'll have to be accountable to him for it. And that's what the church would have told her, honey. You need to tell the truth. You need to tell the truth regardless of what happened. The truth is at the bottom of all of this. If you lie, God knows you've lied. You'll deal with him later. And that's all the church would have done. I'm sure they helped her because they were members of the church. And so the church tries to help their own. But uh, for the church to give that type of advice, no. And that's what also infuriated me. People hide behind the faith. And uh, they interpret it and turn it around their way. And
0: Well, well, I think she's been doing that for a very long time. And I think she... She's as good an actress as can be if she can convince the fine people of Calvary Church that she's innocent, because they raised so much money on behalf of her bail from the community of in the church. So obviously, somewhere along the line, the members and the and the and the people that run the church uh, were convinced of her innocence, and that sounds to well. You me know, like...
1: the church is made up of. Uh... We always say in the faith, the church is made up of sinners. We're just, the difference between us is we've been saved, as they talk about in the Christian faith, but we're still susceptible to being gullible. You know, and the thing is, is God bless them for helping to raise the money. You know, they, in their heart, they were doing something they felt was right. And if she's wrong and it's going to prove to be that way, then they're just going to say, well, we loved her and we did what we were supposed to do. We were supposed to help a fellow sister in the church you know, it's not their job to be judge and jury. That's God. That's true. I think that's where the Calvary Chapel came from. That's true. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yes. And I know her boyfriend, just as a side note, shows up at all the preliminary hearings with, uh, Proverbs stitched in his shirt. Once again, that's an example of how she's learned how to hide behind her faith because she certainly, she does know how to perform.
1: Well, whatever she did, I cannot prejudge her from a faith-based point of view because that's hearing God. And he tells us in the Bible, Don't you be judging people. That's my job. All I know is based on what I've seen in my interactions with her is that it's like I told Daniel, you walk down the wrong path when you start playing like you're saved and boring and all this. So you be very careful with that because you start mocking God and you're going to have to deal with him eventually. Enough said there.
0: So tell me about that. As you continue down the road, because I know that you met with Daniel fairly often Did you always have to go through, Rachel, or did did anything change with that relationship?
1: Nope. Nope. After that first visit, I made it very clear to her, her mother, and to Dan, I don't don't get anyone's permission to see you. And so I applied to the jail, and she was history after that. She never came. He would see her, but I said, I want nothing to do with it. You'll see me when I'm available, and we'll come in and see each other. So I mainly came in on Saturdays to see him.
0: Okay. So you had no interaction with her after that one instance?
1: Nope. I was done. You know, I tried to help, but after that, what she said, I see they're backing away from this. I'm saying, I hit a nerve. I'm leaving it alone. My focus is on my friend, Dan.
0: So tell us about your friend, Dan, and and your talks with him and your meetings with him. Share with us what you learned during that time about your
1: friend. Well, knowing first that when I came in, everything is monitored, we knew you can't talk about the case itself. They don't, they get a little cranky about that. And I told Daniel, I said, Daniel, I said, so I learned. I learned to circle talk, and what I would do. The basic thing was to see: a Are you okay? Are you keeping in touch with mom? How's your How's your heart feeling? And so we we would do that. That's the first thing we would do. We we'd have our little meet and greet, and we'd say, Hey, how you doing? A few jokes, and he. And that's just the way he and I had our conversation. So I was trying to keep it as natural, but I was trying, and he was really into the Bible. He had his Bible marked up. So I would send him in scripture readings and we would constantly back and forth for quite a while would be sharing letters about the Bible. He's very knowledgeable. He was sharing his with people there. But then a lot of people say that's jailhouse conversion. Could have been, but I felt the answers he was giving to me were quite real. However, that being said, as we get near the end of the visits, because then I stopped coming because it's just got to be too much. You know, I've got a family to run here. Um, and about that time, I think he met a blogger at that time and that started to get a little out of hand for me and but let me finish up with dan we talked at great length and one of the the themes that would run through this conversation when i looked at him i said you know what you got to do you do not let scott sanderson run this trial and i told scott to back off scott said i don't like you talking to him about the faith i said that's none of your business young man i said i will talk to that man about what i want and neither you nor the court are going to tell me i can't and I told Dan, I said that, and I said, if you want to stop my business, go ahead. And he said, no. He said, I've told Scott, you can talk to me. I said, you do gone right, I can talk to you. Because he knew I was, you know, I'm very true to my faith. And I said, Dan, I'm a sinner as the next guy. I said, but you know what? God loves you, and he still loves you. And they said, but you've got to be truthful to him. I said, you know in your heart, if you owe those families an apology, that's up to you. I cannot make you do that if you did it. And he said, that's how I had to couch it, because... I didn't want him to get into that. And so he was good with that. But the biggest question that was asked of me was he conning me during all these visits? I said, no. Nope. And my wife said, really? I said, he still is. This, the, I told her that here's a comment. I told her the Dan I started talking to was the one that left me in the moving truck. He's back. And she goes, what? I said, I'm telling you something. He's no longer in that woman's environment and it's gone. But it's too late; the damage is done. But this is the Daniel I knew, and people go, "Oh, he's a No, this is the same. This is the Daniel I knew, and that's why, Linda, I love going to see him because Dan could never BS me because I always told him, "Dan, you can't BS a BS or don't even try it." He'd laugh, and uh, but no, Linda, the transformation was frightening. Not the first couple of business because I see he was still rattled by her and the whole thing that went on, but as we started talking and getting back to who he was. I saw that I saw that that's I loved going there because that was the Daniel. I honestly believe I've told several people, I said, you don't understand the Dan that left and came back. I'm sorry. I mean, that's a, it's a different character. He said, well, I said, no, even his mom told us how he grew up the way he was. I mean, there's it changed. But in the jail visits, that was the Dan I enjoyed talking to because I told my wife I wouldn't waste my time. But I said, Dan, I said, he's on it. And so he'd write me, he sent send me birthday cards on my, and he, he called me Dano. That's my nickname with Dan, Dano, D-A-N-O. And I said, I said, well, and I told her, I said then after a while, this blogger got involved. And I just said, I don't know where that story was going. And that was taking Dan off into just a, to a tangent. I wasn't quite sure what was going on. And I said, I, I can't do this anymore. So I told Dan, I said, I know you're going to be heading up to Quentin soon. And I said, but I will try to keep up with you. I'll try to keep in touch with you. And the last time I saw Dan was on a, jailhouse documentary or something where he was talking and bragging about something. And i looked at my wife and said, who is that? I said, that's a third Daniel. I don't get this. This was like a commercial Daniel. I don't know if that's how I called it. This was a man with no remorse and this is who I am. And that was basically the last, the last memory I had of Dan. And, but I did, I will say this Linda, for the record, the Dan I knew came back. For the brief time I got to talk to him in prison and counsel him and talk to him, that Dan was back. I just wish he hadn't left.
0: So the Make documentary sense? that you're referring to is that the lot when he appeared on Lockup on CBC's Lockup when he was denying yeah. Yeah. that he was involved in the murders.
1: Yep, okay. and I looked at her and I said, I, and she said, "Oh yeah." And my wife said, "You still believe it's him?" I said, "No, that's the world getting hold of him." But you do know, of course, that right
0: he it. did confess to police the day after he was arrested that you know he did he did kill those
1: people but see that's the dan that's the truthful dan that's the truth i'm glad they got that out of him because that's who dan is his core is being honest the fact that he didn't drag that out. I, said, I did i did it but dan is a victim of of what i call circumstance and things around him and his environment you know he'll swing one way but they got that out of him right away when he was his most vulnerable that's probably the most truthful Dan ever was. I
0: mean... Uh, well, that was also after a he, call he, he had. It. He had a call with Rachel. And uh, on that call, Rachel shared with him that she ran into Tim Wozniak. And Tim told her that he had the gun and the evidence. And and he knew yeah, that I heard, I Rachel heard. was bringing that in. That basically she was going to go to Costa Mesa with that information. That was prompted by a friend of hers that was sitting right next to her in a car. A woman by the name of Violet Randolph. Because she wasn't going to do that on her own. But Violet said, if you don't go to the police, I will. And that's when Dan called in from jail and said, okay, I have to tell the Costa Mesa police what I heard from Tim or else it looks like I'm covering up. Everything she did, it seems, was based on her protecting herself.
2: And and so that's when Dan decides
0: he's going to now go in and tell the Costa Mesa police. He said, I want to talk to you. And that's when he confessed to the murders.
1: What I want to know is what she had on him or what she did to him that he still to this day would not involve her. That just, that defies the Dan. even I knew that he would do that.
0: The I sense mean, I that just, I have, I don't... the sense that I have from the people I've spoken to is that it involves Tim. And Tim, Tim's involvement is, is hinged on Rachel's involvement. So therefore, if he reveals Rachel's role as the mastermind or certainly as an accomplice in these crimes, then she will reveal Tim's involvement as well. So I think it has to do with him protecting his brother.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would, yeah, that's your second party, yeah, I, I agree with that. So tell me, what was that? No, I've not talked to him since he's gone. I've not talked to him since he's gone to Quentin and had no communication since then.
0: So you felt the visits that you had with him, you, you felt like you reconnected and who reappeared was the old Daniel you once
1: knew. Yeah. I, I, to my dying day, will say that he was saying prayers with other people, he was leading worship services and stuff. And you know, that, that's just how he felt. And uh, that's who Dan is. But a lot of people are going to look at that and say, that's just jailhouse conversion. I go, well, that's probably true, but not with this kid. I knew this kid. And this is what blown his mother. His mother was devastated by this turn of events. Devastated. This is not Dan. This was not her day. And there was nothing leading up into it until he took off with Rachel Buffett. From the time he left in that truck, I kid you not, I will say this in front of a judge. His life changed. I'm not saying how it happened, but, I believe, but the, only one, the, the only one thing I did see, and I will say this, the one continual presence in his life from that point on was Rachel. They even did two leads in the play together, that dark-sided play. So you're going to tell me, and I told her in our little talk, I said, You had no idea what was going on? Oh, I had no idea. You had no idea? And then three sentences later, she says what she said, and I don't think she knew what she said.
0: About Dan being over her shoulder when she sent the email to Julie. You know, she sent that email at 11.15, the night that Julie was murdered. Julie was murdered between 12 and 12.04, you know, early morning on Saturday or the turn of midnight uh, that Friday night. Right. So within 45 minutes of Julie being murdered, Rachel coincidentally sends that Facebook message to Julie, which Daniel's defense attorney has said that he believes Rachel sent that message as her potential alibi saying, I can't wait to see you after my wedding and we'll catch up and we'll enjoy the summer sun together by the pool.
1: But then when she told me that I haven't told anybody in the legal world, I just told you about that conversation. I haven't. And I will tell you because I know where your heart is and what you want to do with this, the truth behind this. But that says, I, I know the Christian side of me says I want justice all the way around. Full justice needs to be served. And uh, to just, just, it just, it just, I, that just staggers me. I go back to that, that, that conversation. And I said, well, if he was Christian, yeah, he was, I knew he was behind me when I was typing it. I just knew it. And I don't know how far they lived from these people. but
0: Three floors up. Sam's apartment was three floors up.
1: That's right. That's right. And so, she when she gave me that piece of information, I went, "Wow!" And I don't think she's ever said that before to anybody. I think she she because she has told everyone. I had no idea this was happening. I had no idea this was going on. Well, why did you feel creeped out from him being behind you? If he if you weren't suspected of him, why would you be? Think, why would you be thinking that?
0: Because she wasn't creeped out. Literally. <laughs> because she wasn't creeped out. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And that's why that piece of conversation with me has bugged me. And the fact that Marianne Buffett would not respond to me. But I said you need to talk to her about this because
0: Right. That's it sounds to me like after you sent her that email saying, Do you realize what your daughter said in a mm-hmm. sense? They shut down all communication because they yep. realize now they slipped with you.
1: Yep, and I just stayed out of the picture. I talked to him a couple of years later, I said, Oh, things are well and I got a picture. Yeah, we're fine. We just put this all behind us. Uh, I just, I stayed away from it because it was just too, I miss, I missed Dan. I miss those days, but I'm also a realist because there are two families that are missing people in their family. And so I had to temper that with that, but I'm still not going to give up on my memories because I'll always have them. You can't take them away from me, but yes, do people change? Yes, they do. Uh, yes, they do. And the thing is, is there's nothing I can do about that, but I'll be doggone if I'm going to sit here and watch someone get away with it. No, that's just not – it's not my job as a law. I'm not a law person who can go out there and say, okay, I need to do justice. But I can do things like sharing this with you because this breaks my heart because you're the only one I've told about that conversation because I know you'll go the right direction with this. But I think your your listeners need to know that Dan was a good man, and I'm not ashamed to say that. People say, how can you say that? I said, because it was. I'm not lying. I said, I've got thousands of people who believe me and trust me, and they knew Dan was a good man. Uh, well, Daniel, I, Dan, I can tell you,
0: decision. I can tell you this, Dan, that I've spent two and a half years on this case, and I've interviewed over three hundred people. And as a journalist, I can say unequivocally that I do believe Daniel Wozniak would have never murdered if he had never met Rachel Buffett. And I can also share with you that the Costa Mesa police are in agreement with me. And I can also tell you that while I know you weren't. There during the trial, one of the most compelling days was when Scott Sanders was cross-examining Sergeant Ed Everett from the Costa Mesa Police Department. And it came to the point where Scott was asking him how he felt about Rachel Buffett and he basically repeated it back to him saying, do you, do you really want to know what I feel about Rachel Buffett? And, of course, Mr. Sanders (laughs) said, yes, I do. And he, he very passionately picked up his right arm and pointed his finger directly at Daniel Wozniak in front of the jurors and said, I believe she should be sitting right next to Daniel Wozniak. That's where she belongs.
1: And I agree with him 100%.
0: Everyone was looking at each other and you could hear the gasps in the audience. And I remember when he walked by me, I said, good for you, Ed. Good for you. Yeah. (sighs) And he said, do you think I'm going to get fired? I said, no, (laughs) you can't get fired for telling the truth. So uh, how did you feel when you first heard Daniel Wozniak confess to the murders?
1: Well, I was on tour doing a show. I was doing Brigadoon down in San Diego County with uh, Food and Civic Light Opera. And I was doing a role, and all of a sudden someone said, my wife sent me a thing. She says, you better take a look at this newspaper headline. It was sent by a friend, and I looked at it, and I just about... Everyone said, what's wrong? I said, and he said, we know that guy. We know that guy, I said. So do I, and I said, you know him? And so I shared my story with him, and I was devastated. I had two more performances to do. And that was just, uh, just I, shock. When I saw what had happened and the degree that it happened, I knew things were getting dark over there. But, Lord, I had no idea they were that dark. And I had just gotten an email from him Hey, all my friends come see me and uh, my fiance in our new play. Yeah, right. I'm gonna see that dark play. I don't think so. But I did get an email, a mass email. And I had just gotten that. And but I was out on tour. And when I saw that, I it was disbelief. You know, just and then when I saw the hideousness of the of, of it, I just went, Whoa. I was get that spelling again. But then they showed his picture and I said, and that was a comment I made to Sanders. I said, You see that picture? See that man behind the bars? You know, his arrangement. Look at those eyes. I said, that's not Dan. That's not the Dan I know. It's not. And my wife goes, you're right. And I said, that's a man who said, oh, my God, where have I been for the last two years? And now what have I gotten into? And, yeah, you brought your family into this. You brought your family into this darkness. And he never would have bought Tim into something like this. He never would have done this to his family. But that's how much power this young lady has. And in my opinion, I hope they take that power away from her. I hope that justice is done, whichever it is, I hope that it's done. Yeah,
0: the power of unrequited love.
1: I don't think she ever loved him. That's why I'm saying it's unrequited. Was, he loved her, but. Yeah, unrequited. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he loved her with a passion. He kept his own family, He's, and she took advantage of that yeah. cold bloodedly. And you want cold to talk like the about cold
0: blooded I mean, the, the night he was arrested at Tsunami Sushi? for at that point bank fraud because they still thought Sam was their number one suspect and they just thought right. Dan was helping him, hiding him. So they went and arrested him at his bachelor party at Tsunami Sushi and they went afterwards to go pick up Rachel at the Camden Martinique Apartments and by early that morning... She was sharing with them that she really didn't love him. She wasn't over the top about him, but that was okay. He was a terrible lover. He had a small penis. She's telling the police, the Costa Mesa police, this, and they were supposed to be married one day later. I mean, I know. Who talks like that about their
1: future husband? Yeah, you see, that, and see, that all gets lost in, the, in, 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 in just, it gets all lost and the animation of, you know, the, the beheading and all this stuff, you know, and, and, and that should be out there, but all this stuff just factored way behind the screens and she took advantage of it. I'm telling you that girl had to have plotted this because Dan would never have sat down and methodically figured this all out. That's just too evil. I'm sorry he would have done that, but I do believe he's weak. And I think he gave in because he loved her so much. I'll do anything. And I think it slowly got into this, got into the drugs, got into that. They ran out of money. Well, I can't, I can't, I've got got to defend my, i got to make money. i got to do this. There's no way that would have been going on, plus with a six-week rehearsal of a play, that those two wouldn't have crossed paths and talked about it. That's just not going to happen. I know the theater world. They have to know what each other's doing. So that's...
0: I mean, all their neighbors and all their friends that hung out with them all during that time, because they moved in Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2010, and then the Mm -hmm. murders took place May 21st, 2010. So they weren't there for very long. But the friends that they did develop there, they all shared with me that she was in charge. She was the one with the power. She was the one with the influence. I mean, she was on him like white on rice. If he was texting or calling, who was that? Who are you talking to? I mean, there was no, he had no breathing room to plan anything on his own from what I can gather from these interviews I've had. And I I have a quick little story that I think gives you an indication of, of just how much power she did have over him. One of the parties that they attended was something called Taco Tuesdays. And it was a collection of all the neighbors and they all got together at a friend, Dave Barnhart, who lived there and he had these parties and they got a little out of hand it was sort of like caligula you know there was a lot of booze a lot of drugs perhaps even <laughs> yeah. partner swapping who knows but anyway it, it and and i was told there were actually tacos there so but um they one of the nights <laughs> uh, two people have told me two witnesses there have said that they recall rachel uh, trying to pump up her own influence, her own sort of in a bravado kind of way. Look at look at the control I have over him. Watch this, and she, you know, s- instructed Daniel that he had to kiss another guy that was sitting next to him on the couch, or else she wasn't going to go home with him and make love to him. And she basically said it loud enough so other people watched. And sure enough, he went ahead and kissed the man, and she. Everybody laughed and basically like he was the court jester and, and sure enough, she said, see, see what I can do, see how I control him. So I just think that is so insidious. And that to me is such a reflection of just how much he would do for her.
1: Yeah. And that's a shame because that's his own fault for being that weak. I blame him for that. You know, you know what, you're growing up, you should have known your principles. But the thing is, is I just don't think that he wanted to be loved It's one thing about Dan, he wanted to be liked, he wanted to be loved, and I could see that in him. He had that need. His mother loved him, his family loved him, but he wanted a separate love, something that wasn't family-related. And this woman would give him anything he wanted. I miss the Dan that was, but that's just life. That's what life deals with you. And the thing is, is you're not taking my memories away. You're not taking my videos of him and my family. You're not taking none of that away. You're not tarnishing any of that. Now, when it comes to the part that what he did, I go, yeah, you know what? I'm sad that happened. I said, but I'm not gonna break ties with him. He will always be my friend. He'll always be like a son to me, and I'll always keep that. I mean, sons can be bad. Sons can murder. They do that. But do you disown them? No. You don't do that with people. They're your family, you know. And you don't justify what they did. So what she did to Marianne Wozniak and her family, I think uh, Rachel Buffett's involvement in this needs to be accounted for, because she had her involvement had such a huge effect on so many families and so many lives. And just to be able to walk away with a smarmy look like, well, coffee pot, this and that and this and that. No. No, you need to be behind bars so the world knows no. You were a part of it. You were guilty. That's, that's, that's fine for me. That closes the door for me.
0: Tell our listeners so few people know Marianne Wozniak didn't come to the trial. Dan didn't want her there. Give our listeners a sense of who Marianne Wozniak is.
1: Oh, I'd be more than happy to. Marianne Wozniak was just a sweetheart. You know, you know she, she, she had temper. You know, if she you, if she thought you were attacking her family or whatever, you know. But she she loved her son. She loved him. And she was just so upset by all this. I think she was upset by the influence of where he went. And she would tell me, Dan, I don't know where he went. And you know, I don't know where he went, but there was such a terrible influence here. I said, I know. She goes, but you know what? You know, if he did this, that thing, you know, he's got to he, he's he's got to be dealt with. But he said, it's the influence of where it went. I said, Marianne, I said, you know, and it got to the point to where it was just killing her family. They couldn't go out in public. They couldn't handle the phone calls. I mean, and I know it killed her husband. I know just the pressure of it was just too much. And it embittered her near the end. It embittered her near the end that when she, she wouldn't even talk to me anymore. She did not want to talk to the public anymore because with him gone, she said, look, how much more of a price I got to pay now? You know, what is this all about? But Marianne loved her family. She loved life. She loved people around her. She was a joy of be around. That woman could tell a story tale. She was not vulgar, but she wasn't stupid. She was a very smart woman. And, uh, but I do know she loved her son and her son spoke very highly of her. Now I know those two differed with each other when he met Rachel and they were going to go away. I think there was a disagreement about that. But then again, that happened in a lot of families, between mothers and their sons. But, uh, this broke her heart. This just destroyed her. And she wouldn't go in the public because she wasn't ashamed of her son. It was just too much. And she was trying to protect her husband because she knew he couldn't take it. Drag him into public through all this? No. This was too much for him. And uh she was a protector. But this one, she could. I think Marianne couldn't protect her son. On this one. She can't protect her father, you know, her husband, and her son at the same time. It was too much on her. And so she... She stayed with her family. a very close knit, you know. Her, his aunt and everything. They're all very close, and it just took a toll. I mean, you're in Orange County. He's moving a lot of people, and all of a sudden, this happens. You're a mother and father of a of a vicious murder. That was hard for them. That was like night and day. Boom. You know, I don't know if you know.
0: I don't know if you know, Dan, the the story of what happened to Daryl. But you're right that Marianne couldn't protect her husband either. But. Uh, it really happened based on a, a fight that Mike had with his father. He ended up beating him pretty severely. And Marianne was very afraid to bring him into the ER because she knew that the police would be called. He was beaten up so badly. And it was the who first. Who was? This is Daryl. Daryl was beaten up so Darryl badly. Daryl was beaten up by his oldest son, Mike, who was in town. And. Was drinking so heavily, and he got in a fight with his father and beat him so severely that he really needed hospital attention. But Marianne was petrified to bring him because she knew the police would be called based on his injuries. And uh, it was the first week of Daniel's trial, and she was so fearful of the publicity and what it would do to Daniel that ultimately she didn't take him in, and he ended up dying a month later.
1: Did you? Did they ever find out? Not even a month later. It was two weeks later,
0: actually. What?
1: Did they ever talk about what the fight was about? Tim
0: told me the story. Told me that he came in and his father was so bruised and beaten up and with a black eye and could barely talk. And they and Maryanne was hysterical and told Tim that it was Mike and Mike's never allowed back in this house again and was pretty bad and no do I know uh, Tim never knew himself what the fight was about but supposedly it didn't take much from Mike's years on steroids with wrestling he still does pretty heavy duty drugs from what I understand and he was drunk and I mean poor Marianne look at the decisions she has to make and the choices that she has to make these these are not easy boys that she has had to Make these choices for, I mean, I know their family, and I know that you stand by your family, and I agree with you, even if your son murders someone, it's still family, right? You don't abandon them but but I do right. my heart aches for Marianne because how much can one mother take
1: and I've never heard of a history of violence with Daniel, never, to this day, I' never heard I haven't had people have not talked to me about a history of violence when he was a kid I mean. To live in a family like that was with, with very dysfunctional. I mean, I don't know. The bottom line is I didn't know that, know that about Daryl. That breaks my heart because I love that man. I really did. I and heard I just, he was just, just the nicest, just,
0: sweetest man I know. Awful
1: story, right? Just Well, I loved him. I loved him. Yeah. I loved him. He just... But you know what? You never know what lies behind the door of a family. It's true. I mean, that's just so intimate and private. You have no idea. I mean, they put on a face in the public, but then in the background knows what's going on I mean,
0: that's, uh, but uh i think it's also the plight of a of a working mom I'm, i've heard from people that uh she tended to have to just like write money towards some of their problems when the boys had troubles growing up she always believed their side of things instead of teachers or coaches or whoever else was having an issue with them and and as as a single working mother myself i can appreciate that you do have guilt and you do try to fix problems as best you can because you feel like you're not there as much as you should be. And so I understand that tendency. I understand what she was trying to do, which was keep her family together. And um, it's not its not easy.
1: Yeah, and I think that's why she didn't go into the public because as a good mom, she knew the laundry that that family had and she just didn't want it air It hard enough for her to try to deal with it. She's had enough. Yeah. Her family's now destroyed. Her
0: world was imploding, and it's amazing that she gets up in the morning and functions.
1: Well, I hopefully we can put this whole thing to rest with with the, with the, with the trial. Hopefully, we can get a little closure on it. Say good night. I mean, it's just it's just a long story that never ends. I hope through the conversations we're having and all kinds of things that are happening all over the place that people kind of get an understanding that the human being is one complicated program. I mean, we are so complicated, But, uh, but I have enjoyed talking to you.
0: Well, thank you, sir. And I have enjoyed it as well. And I want to end with this last uh, question, which is I know you've mentioned the blogger. And I wanted to know what your feelings are about her introduction into Daniel's life?
1: Self-interest, not on the level of Rachel Buffett, but I think my tendency to listen to her and everything, by the time I was able to stand back and look at it, I just thought it was more self-serving. I got to save this person. I got to be a part of this person's life. Maybe I can help them. I've got something empty in my life but to me, it made no sense. That blogger did not belong in his life. Just did not because I, I did not understand the purpose of it. I did not get it. I, I, to this day, I talked to her on phone. I talked to her in emails. I said, I like what you're doing. Then I was concerned you know where she was going. And every time she turned away from it, I kind of went, she got her to talk, but I just didn't see what she wanted out of it. But I don't know if she still talks to him, but I, it got too commercial for me. And, they were they were talking about stuff that just I went I'm getting lost in all of this. Where if, you know I I, no, I I think it was it's hard to tell. I don't be critical, but I I just don't I just didn't see it when she first got into his life. I went uh, I don't know. I said be careful because I thought Dan was playing her. I really did. When she started saying what she said, I said I told her point blank. Like, I said you be careful. I love that boy like I did, but be careful. I think you're being played.
0: Do you think that she's been a detriment to him, or, or has she helped him?
1: That's a hard one to call. That's a hard one to call. I, if, I don't know what she expects out of Daniel. I mean, what's the point? Daniel's probably had more psychological reviews. Who knows? I mean, are you helping him? I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, I know. I don't know if she's still talking to him in the Clinton but uh,
0: she visits him at San Quentin.
1: Well, then you know what? If she's still visiting him, it gives him someone to talk to. If something positive comes out of that, then good. I'm happy for that. But if she's looking for a relationship beyond just a relationship with him, I don't know. That I have no idea. But if he's got someone to talk to, thank God for that. You know, as long as they're not just BSing each other, she seemed pretty solid there for a while that she wasn't going to take any nonsense. But then, you know, it's just got to be. It, after a while, this, this 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 trial was just too tender. I had to get away from it. After a while, I, I'll leave you with this. I didn't know what was truth or not. What was truth or fiction anymore between those two? Were you telling stories he wanted to hear? Was he telling you what you wanted to hear? I couldn't disseminate between that anymore. And so I just stopped reading the blogs. But I do think she has this rescue mentality. Maybe I can save him.
0: You can't. Daniel, thank you so much for your time and your honesty and your willingness to share all of your insights that really, really has added to this story. And we're, we're grateful that you're willing to come on and talk to us.
1: Well, I'm grateful for your taking the story, to, your involvement in it for the years you've been involved with it. And I appreciate that because I get a feeling, a very sincere feeling, and I hope your listeners are listening very carefully, but I really feel that you care about this, man. You care about the people involved. You care about everybody that's involved. And you just want the story out there. And I like that because there's so many textures. There's so many angles to the story, so many levels. You just can't take it at face value, which is the imprint. You've got to delve into it like you've been doing. And I'm glad you've done it. you pulled things even with me that I had forgotten. You pulled them out and say, okay, let's talk about this. And I think this is a good – because people listening can listen to the passion in people's voices, listen to the tenor and tone of what they're saying. What excites them, what doesn't excite them. And they make their own decision to what they believe. But I like this better than print. The fact that people can hear this conversation. I applaud you with this. And I think this is great. And uh, I think I'm going to get into iHeartRadio now and listen as a subscriber.
0: <laughs> thank you so much. That means a whole lot.
1: You're welcome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks All right, again, Linda, Thank you so much. All right. Bye now. Bye-bye.
0: Next week on Sleuth, we're back to our Santa Ana, California courtroom front row seat as the accessory to murder trial of Rachel Buffett comes to a close. Both Prosecutor Matt Murphy and Defense Counsel David Medina deliver powerful summations to the jury of 12. Both attorneys are hoping to sway the members one way or the other for a verdict each lawyer desperately hopes lands in their favor. How do you think the jury will decide? What do you feel the verdict will be? Stay tuned so you don't miss a minute of our exclusive trial coverage. Heard only here on Sleuth. If you enjoyed this episode of Sleuth, share it with a friend. And be sure to leave a rating or review. Follow Sleuth on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode.